And here we are once again. Thank you for joining me and participating in this conservative hippie community. I've got a great show today. I've got uh, one of my favorite people on the planet, Tom Luongo, with the Gold Goats and Guns podcast. He's going to join us. He was at the Bitcoin conference this weekend, and he's going to share some of his insights with Bitcoin um, and answer some of the questions I have about the the conference um, and about where we're at uh, in the state of Bitcoin uh, adoption. And I wanted to take the time at the beginning of this podcast to answer some questions I, I get a lot, and that is, what is the Conservative Hippie podcast about? And, you know, sometimes I even struggle. I follow trends that I'm interested in. So we were way ahead of the curve uh, in 2020 on the, uh, how to, what can we say that we don't get booted off the internet and search engines? That thing that happened to us. Go back and look at my podcast. I am very proud of the podcast we put out in March and April of 2020. Um, I was on top of uh, the impeachment hoaxes, and more so than that, covering Trump's philosophies on sovereignty that he laid out in his speech at the UN um, that just so happened to be masked by the first impeachment hoax. And it's that, it's that libertarian nature um, that I follow. It's the, it's the concern about sovereignty of the individual and sovereignty of the nation state um, that I am most concerned about that I think connects that hippie and that conservative. Um, and so that's why it is a trending theme on this show. And it's also why I'm so fascinated in Bitcoin. So listen to this show, and Tom is going to very well illustrate the connections with libertarianism and Bitcoin. Uh, then we're going to finish the show with uh, a panel that Tom mentions, uh, we, talking about Jimmy Song and a panel he had at the Bitcoin conference talking about the moral case for Bitcoin. So we're going to grab some soundboy bites and finish the show. Great show today. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, I don't care about smashing the, the like and hitting the subscribe. I want you to communicate. I want you to be a part of this community. So hit me up on Twitter. I'm at jfrat. Do the subscribe thing if you want to. That'd be fantastic. We're going to have another great show uh, coming up around the pike. Um, give me a review, whatever. Let's get into this show. Mainstream media is dominated by the right and the left. The majority in the middle are left without a voice. You've reached the Conservative Hippie Podcast, a common sense look at life, the universe, and everything. Here's your host, Jay Frat, the Conservative Hippie. I am joined by the one and only Tom Luongo with the Gold, Goats, and Guns Podcast, who's going to give us a uh, insider's view on the Bitcoin conference that was this weekend. Hello, Tom. Hi, Jay. How are you? I don't know if I consult, can consider what we I've got as an insider's view, but I certainly was there. So, um, well, you are more you are more inside than most of us. Before we begin, I yeah. saw something come across. It might have been a mainstream uh, media uh, feed. It might have been yeah. some some strange. 
other person, but somebody suggested that the Bitcoin conference could be likened to the Fire Festival. If you remember that failed, um, that failed festival that was all marketing and no substance. What do you say about that? What did you see when you arrived? Oh, that that is not what I saw. I was actually I was more worried that it was going to be that than anything else. Actually, you know, I went down there and uh, and I, it was interesting. I was down there with my my partner in the newsletter, and he has a very different view of Bitcoin than I do. He has different criticisms of Bitcoin than I do, and um, so I went down there uh, wondering if the flash and the blitz and the and basically you know the new reach aspect of Bitcoin was going to overwhelm, and depending on the way you view the bits and pieces you see coming from Twitter uh, and the bits and pieces you may or may not see on YouTube, that's not the vibe I got at all. The vibe I got from the, certainly from the panels that I watch, it was very serious stuff. Very, uh, the, and the fundamental core ethos of Bitcoin is still very much alive and well. It's still very much a, we know that we're in the fight of our lives, like the big, taking on the biggest fight in the world against the, the root of all of the power structures, power, right? And that's still there. And it's actually everywhere still within the context, though, of now a maturing industry that understands that it has to mature in order to attract real money and real, uh, and real serious people uh, in order to stabilize this industry and put the, the reverse political pressure back on those who think that, well, our power needs to be maintained, the Janet Yellens, the Klaus Schwab's, the rest of them. And it all, that only happens if this industry matures and we continue also uh, to mature our arguments as to why Bitcoin fixes this or fixes that. So that's where we are. Okay. And it reminds me a lot of, it reminds me a lot of the, the, the a stage in, in, in where the Libertarian Party could never get past that, where Libertarians never figured out a better way to communicate their message right and so now they've become a joke so yeah okay and so you you think that bitcoin is and the adoption is is at that phase where libertarians uh were and are and have always been or do you think bitcoin is now pushing past that and and piercing into the mainstream uh and and kind of almost at that stage getting ready for mainstream adoption I think that what we're seeing actually is that Bitcoin is the perfect vehicle to popularize all of these libertarian ideas that the libertarians fundamentally failed to communicate for the last 20 years. It's like, you know, it's e- easier for people to talk about, you know, the concepts uh, of private property and ownership and custody and, you know, allodial title and blah and all of these things. And we were unable to do it as libertarians and just talking about it purely but now, once we have an object with which to kind of focus our attention and focus our arguments on, i.e., our real money, because we were never able to do it with gold, right? Um, and so that, that same ethos is still there. And now, what's interesting, and this is the fun part about this, this is the interesting part about it, it was a great um, panel with Jimmy Song and two other guys about the moral case for Bitcoin. And they all had very, very astute arguments. And it was like, and I, I just sat there in the audience going, oh, thank you. We need that. This is what we needed. Right. And then to see that, uh, that high level philosophical, uh, epistemological argument for the moral case for Bitcoin, and then have at the end of the, 
conference, the president of El Salvador pop in and say, oh, by the way, we're making it legal tender for the country of El Salvador. Like, that's the big boom. Like, yeah. that's because a country like El Salvador, which is a point that Jimmy Song made during that that uh, that panel. Right. Which was that Bitcoin is not for us rich Americans, you know, whose lives are not going to you know, who, who we're, we're going to be the last impacted by the fall of the dollar. It's everybody else who's the victim of dollar imperialism, the export of, you know, our only main export now is, you know, as, a, as Americans is dollars and uh, sanctions, right? And using the dollar. And dollar imperialism is ultimately the thing that Bitcoin really fixes for a lot of third world countries. So there was a guy on that panel talking about, you know, how, how quickly Nigeria is adopting Bitcoin for micropayments. Now the Lightning Network is available and working. And so we're in the very early stages of this, but it's going to be the third world. It's going to be the billions and of unbanked and the the small countries that uh, have been the most harmed by capital flows, capital inflows and outflows. There's, again, a, another point that was made by Lynn Alden in her um, uh, her panel or discussion. Did, Lynn Alden did a great discussion on this and the network effects of Bitcoin. And uh all those things kind of tied together. So it was an interesting, especially day two, there was an interesting narrative on how the talks were staged. Like it, they were, it was very much a, they were planned in a particular order to tell a particular story and the right story throughout the day. And then eventually, you know, it pushed Peter down to something I, I was uninterested in. But when we got to that point in the first half of both day one and day two, when everybody is jazzed and they're most attentive, those were the panels that were the most impactful, and those were the panels that most people saw, and uh, it was phenomenal in that in that respect. And I was surprised about that. I was fully expecting more, you know, more glitz, and you know, I was expecting more Vegas than you know. St. Augustine or whatever, right? All right. Well, let, thank you. And and that's why you you are the insider, because you were there uh, gobbling up all the meats and potatoes. I saw something mm. that came across my purview that may, may be considered more Vegas, um, mm. where I saw, you know, some, some flashy guy doing a wolf of Wall Street, we're not selling, yelling chant. And then he introduces Michael Saylor, who's become oh, very, yeah. very popular in the Bitcoin community. Mm. Who is Michael Saylor? And how? How or why has he risen to prominence prominence in such a short period of time in the Bitcoin community? Well, the first of all, let's go back to the, the guy who was doing the fist pump and all. That's Max Kaiser, who runs uh, Double Down and all the shows on RT and has been a big, big Bitcoin bull for a while. And, you know, Max is, Max is a showman and he always has been. He's a media guy. He is who he is. He is what he is. And, you know, and that's it's whatever. It's an, it's you know, 930 in the morning on, on a Friday. We're all here. We're all pumped up like. We're not supposed to be excited about uh, we're not supposed to be excited about the thing we're all here gathered. Dude, there were fifty thousand people at this thing. Wow. Okay. They, I mean, the fire marshal was angry with us because they kept moving. They, there were so many people in the hall. I mean, you you have no idea what you did. What you can't see in all that video is the thousands of people in the hall that Kaiser was, you know, fist bumping to. Yeah. Like who? I would have ever imagined that I never in a million years would have ever thought when I first encountered Bitcoin by, you know, reading about it on the daily Paul and then downloading the software in 2010, like I never, I just kept saying to my, my friend, I'm like, dude, I never thought we'd ever see anything like this. All right. So that being said, who is Michael Saylor getting onto the, the real question here? Saylor is the 
uh, the CEO of MicroStrategies. And, uh, and he is a guy that, and self-admitted on the day he was up there on the stage talking about this was his one year anniversary of being Bitcoin. Yeah. And he's moved his entire company into it. Uh, and he's a very, I think, a very eloquent uh, spokesman for an, uh, a great example of a guy who gets it and gets how to communicate and how to counter all of the typical, you know, the, the, what's the best we're looking for, you know, simps to power arguments um, against Bitcoin. I mean, this is like, no, 90% of what you hear on Twitter and, you know, people complaining about uh, complaining about Bitcoin. There's all people simping for power. Like they just they either have Stockholm syndrome and don't believe that anybody that these people are, are, are their power is, un- is assailable in any way or they're literal quizzling simping. Uh, for people who have power because they want a job or they want to keep the they want to keep, uh, keep their existing job, and then you have the anti Bitcoiners like Peter Schiff, and they're just irrelevant. Um, so um, Sailor is a guy that you know I, I'm not sure I, I, I agree with all of his uh, investment strategies, but that's that, that's not for me to, to judge. He's done what he's done with his company, and uh, he's made those decisions. And he's going to ride or uh, rise or fall based on those decisions, and he's all in. And uh, I, you know, I'll give him credit uh, for the courage of his convictions and for being eloquent enough to get the very um, subtle aspects of what, quote unquote, Bitcoin fixes. And so, you know, it, I, I, I think it's a, I think it's great to have a guy like that um, in the community at this point. OK, now you mentioned uh, simps, simps for power. Um, <laughs> we've we've just come out of a stage where all of a sudden we're talking about the carbon footprint of Bitcoin. And in my last podcast, I kind of went through um, just the general nonsense that that is. One of, the cool. th- one of the things I don't hear about, though, is as the price goes up in Bitcoin, uh, the, the thought process is more uh, companies, more individuals put money into the mining operations, and that increases mm-hmm. the power load on the grid as people compete to try to right. earn those Bitcoin once it gets to a certain price. What I haven't heard that I've thought of is a natural competition. There's got to be some sort of fallout in this competitive nature, which in the end will decrease the carbon footprint as the price goes up and more miners fail or, or older miners, their technology becomes useless. Um, won't the bar, the bar of entry into mining become higher and therefore the barriers to entry will become higher? And so it won't, when the price goes up again, it won't put this load on the grid. It won't, it won't bring about this carbon footprint argument. Have you? Have everybody's, you heard- uh, I, I've got you. I've got you. Here's the gig. Aside, aside from the fact that everybody's approaching this argument wrong. Sailor has made it abundantly clear. It's very simple. Bitcoin uses a quarter of a percent of the energy that we already send to ground. Bitcoin actually is a is described by a good friend of mine as kind of a self-directed organism seeking out energy subsidies and destroying them. Because miners can move their operations from place to place. They, they seek out the lowest cost electricity. And if you subsidize your electricity production through government largesse, then Bitcoin miners will, will, will seek to go there. And then they will... Um, and they will mine as profitably as possible. Okay, there's a there's always a a, uh, a war of uh, 
an arms race in Bitcoin mining with new ASICs that have to come online. We're now on Antminer 9s. The Antminer 10s will be out soon, blah, 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 blah. There's always that and the capital cost depreciation. And there's a very, very good panel from the from the conference led by Kevin O'Leary of CNBC, formerly of CNBC, about how public companies mine Bitcoin in the, you know, how, how you know, I think it's like uh, mining Bitcoin as a public company. And they all talk about the biggest problem that uh, the money that would that wants to come in from institutional investors into Bitcoin can't because of this idiotic and moronic uh, actually argument about the uh, about the carbon footprint of Bitcoin and they can't pass what you know ESG um, uh, compliance worries right and this is actually what's part of what's retarding things now aside from the fact that this is just commies trying to figure out a way to stop people from making good investment decisions that's typical uh, that's all ESG is um, the simple argument is that Bitcoin already only uses waste energy in the first place. I saw no less than two or three different companies out there looking to put Bitcoin mining rigs where there's there you know, at natural gas wells where they're just, they're just going to take the flare the gas that they normally flare to run the local power to power the the Bitcoin mine. So now you're just taking waste energy again and converting it into uh, a useful product. The ultimately, when you make the argument about the car footprint of Bitcoin, you have to make the comparative, all the costs for Bitcoin are up front at the point of the ge of generation and the block reward and the block confirmation. That's it. In the traditional banking system, the cost for maintaining that is unbelievable because it is, it's not just, you know, the computers and the racks and the IT guys and the plumbers and the class a office space but it's the roads and the sewage and you know the commuter rails and the regulatory uh and the lawyers and the all of this stuff and it's all part of the carbon footprint of the traditional banking system but even if you don't even talk about any of that stuff just the actual carbon footprint of the traditional banking system today is still bigger than bitcoin is today bitcoin's actually the most efficient way to do what we want to do even with its incredibly inefficient relative to the rest of the industry means of doing proof of work. That's what I find fascinating. There's tons of ways of doing it better than the way Bitcoin currently does it. But there's no, this is an argument. This is one of those arguments that absolutely needs to be refined and countered. And it can be countered very easily and very quickly and make people like Janet Yellen, who's already a fool in the first place, make her look even more foolish for going out there and saying anything along these lines. It's just dumb. And yeah. I'm tired of listening to dumb arguments. So we can do this. It's it's easy. There's so many different ways to attack this problem. But the big one is we have to do it in such a way to get the institutional investors to be able to pass pass it through their ESG uh, uh, compliance officers in order to be able to then take up positions, which would then do all the things that we're talk we would like to happen: stabilize the price, get rid of some of the volatility, blah 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 blah, and now really change the uh, the the market infrastructure. Because, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that that doesn't happen. Well, that's fine, because it'll just mean that it'll make it easier. Uh, it'll keep the price relatively cheap for people in El Salvador to make it their money. And then the people in Panama next door to make it their money. And then, you know, one guy made a really great argument. This the, uh, the final point made a really great argument about the Bitcoin ETF. He's like, the CFTC can't get past, you know, the AML, the anti-money laundering aspects of Bitcoin in order to... Uh, uh, approve an ETF. And he, he made the point of that's great because the longer an ETF doesn't show up is the longer it takes for Bitcoin 
um, real Bitcoin style, uh, uh, real Bitcoin transactions and infrastructure to be built such that the ETFs can't become net uh, short positions like the gold ETFs are, which are used to mint paper gold in order to suppress the price, which is why they want BT, Bitcoin ETFs put in place so they can mint paper Bitcoins. Like it's This is what this is all about. And so we actually don't want Bitcoin ETFs, the gold, you know, and and we don't want any of that stuff. So we just need to get the institutions to come in, buy their buy their thing, uh, buy their positions, hold them, do what needs to be done, and start treating it like any other financial asset. And if we can get that, uh, we can get rid of ESG that way. It would be great because it's going to get re- be gotten rid of anyway. It just means that the longer this goes on in you know in Europe and the United States, it just means that it's it's creating an advantage for capital in you know areas of the world that FYI don't have that problem that need so it the it's most a market function and it's a market and they're the ones that need it the most and bitcoin will 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 travel there and yeah. will migrate there and then we'll be left behind it's this the way is, the world. this isn't a pushback um i absolutely mm-hmm. agree the competition factor among miners seeking the cheapest energy and therefore mm-hmm. the most renewable energy if you will or the t- taking that energy that just goes to ground goes to waste is absolutely mm-hmm. paramount in the carbon footprint that's not really a debate but they're forcing us to have that debate i want to think yes. next i want to think next level and and what i was what i started that with and i want you to pay attention since you are far and away uh, our insider i'm to be looking for these stories as well, because I think that next level, that failed mining operation, there's got to be failed mining operations where they put in all yeah. that capital, co- that capital goods, that infrastructure in advance based on a certain price. Now we see the Bitcoin price get halved, nearly halved, and that model shouldn't work anymore. Uh, or you go from you go to miners that set up say three years ago, their model, their computers, their infrastructure, that model doesn't work anymore. There has to be a lot of failed miners out there, and I think that in in the beginning that competition for the cheapest power, but also that barrier to entry rising with more failed projects that you see. But that, they, but the but what happens with the price is that you. See- the hashing rate go up and down. The hashing rate goes down when we're at marginal um, production, cost of production. When we're close to the commodity price, when Bitcoin miners will make it six percent, right? Because the price you know, at the bottom of the bear market, you know, when Bitcoin's trading eighty five hundred dollars, seventy five hundred dollars, right? The miners were selling everything they made into the marketplace because they were just like gold miners. They're like, we have to sell everything in order to cover our costs. And you know, a lot, and some probably went out of business, and then you know, and some moved over to, to mining other SHA two fifty six with their ASICs, other SHA two fifty six style uh, encrypted coins like Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin SV or Ethereum Classic or whatever. And, and so there's always those options as well. By the way, so because that's where that's what miners do. They go where they need to go with their you know, with their their hashing power to the most profitable thing. So, um, this just understand that you know this is a, a process that you know when the when the, the the price falls and we're at marginal cost of production, the hashing rate has to fall as well. And so the difficulty falls off. And so you know it's a it's a it's an ebb and flow. And there's going to be guys that fall off. And there's going to be guys that, that that come in and all that. That 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 uh, that infrastructure will get moved from place to place, taking out the lowest cost of energy and seeking those places where the energy subsidies are the highest. And the the good news is, is that you have to think of it this way: we want governments out of the energy subsidy business. We want governments out of the X subsidy business. 
right? It doesn't matter if it's food or yes. farmland or it doesn't matter. We want them out of that. We want rational pricing. We want real pricing for our for our goods and services. Again, this is the kind of thing Bitcoin fixes. It's if you can do it in the electricity market, which is incredibly important, base level commodity market that everybody needs to run a more first world economy, then you can do it in every other market as well. And you will do it in every other market by moving up the economic ladder of, uh, of, of goods, right? From first order goods like electricity, to second order goods, to tertiary and, and whatnot. And so that's where we'll, that's what will happen. So this is one of the other things that Bitcoin really does when you stop to think about it, really does you know, fix and then and again for everybody listening to this, I, I'm I'm not a I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist. Like I don't care if it's Bitcoin or some other proof of work style blockchain. I'm using Bitcoin as a uh, for for all uh, proof of work style store of value coins, and there are plenty of them on the market. And you know, there we can have a conversation about the about the relative merits of them and the first mover advantage and all the other stuff. That's a different thing for a different day. This is just about the basic concept of what a proof of work style blockchain of this type does and can fix. Okay, so uh, uh, real quick, I'm going to I'm going to throw sure. out, throw out an advertisement because you are our insider as much as you want to uh, discredit that. And you <laughs> did a you did a fantastic video on uh, Waves.Exchange, and you basically mm -hmm. brought that to your Patreons. You brought that to the public. I then did an addendum video. If you guys want to yeah. go out there and search it, just search YouTube for Gold, Goats, and Guns. Watch Tom's Waves video. Um, if, if he goes a little too fast or uses language that you're not quite caught up to, absolutely then go to the Conservative Hippie YouTube channel. Watch my Waves addendum. It's it's for people that have a little bit lower uh, knowledge base uh, on cryptocurrency. Um, mm -hmm. So you brought us waves. You're helping us understand. You're bringing us along for these things. When you went to the Bitcoin conference, you're in deep. Mm -hmm. What caught your eye or interest that you weren't aware of before you went to the conference? Um, how much institutional money is sitting on the sidelines? Stopped dead cold by environmental carbon credits. I'm, I, I was I was floored by that, and I was again, and I think I've already kind of touched on what I saw. I said, said earlier, which is that the original ethos is still there, and you know, and the other thing is, is I'm beginning to understand the importance of something like Lightning. I'm a Bitcoin kind of purist at its core, right? Because I'm a I, I approach Bitcoin from monetary um theory perspective right um and i've always made the argument that you know i'm not a bitcoin maxi because i don't believe that you know i think that you know bitcoin will rise in value and therefore it'll eventually price itself out of you know the marketplace and the lightning layer two payment layers are meant and designed to minimize that and so we can have off-chain transactions that you know settle up at the end of the day but i'm that to me is still not that to me isn't really bitcoin right um i believe i'd rather see a i'd rather see a, a a consortium of good proof of proof of work style blockchains that do that transaction clearing using you know and in kind of in competition with one another as a consortium to create that base layer and you know and transaction fees can be the thing that drive um that drive ultimately drive you know kind of profit and price and everything once every, once we're at that hyper quote unquote hyper bitcoinization moment but Regardless, it doesn't matter what my opinion is. We're going to find this stuff out over the course of the next five to ten years. I'm happy to have the conversation with various people about where we go. Um, but to me, it was really that, and that to see 
the level of uh, of dedication still to the original ethos of this um, at this point. That's the thing that really still stuck out at me. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of money there now. And that's fine. And people should celebrate that there's a lot of money there. And they should celebrate the fact that there's a lot of people there. And, um, you know, I've been to gold conferences during the middle of the, bull, the bear market. I know what it looks like. You know, and I've, uh, I and I can tell you that, you know, yeah, part of this, what we saw the other day was, you know, we're in the middle of a bull market. And, you know, or, you know, what, what is now a bear market correction, but it's still a primary bull market. You know, we got a long way to go. And we got a lot of people to get to the next level of understanding of how to do this. And uh, it's going to be an interesting thing. And I think there's a lot more people there that are ready for the fight that they think is coming. Um, then uh, a lot of people are, 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 are willing to admit at this point. Like, there's a lot of anti-Bitcoiners or, or no-coiners, whatever you want to call them, who really do believe that, oh, well, this is quashing. Like they can just quash it whenever they want. Oh, okay, okay, good. Like that's interesting. Talk to me about what you know about TCPIP. Uh, 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 well, not really very much. Yeah, obviously. So why don't you shut up now and let the grown-ups talk? It's very interesting. So, what what if if I could try to interpret for some of my listeners this push and pull where you go and you see how much money is on the sidelines in institutional investors, and you're talking mm -hmm. about how the ethos and the um, the drive of Bitcoin and why it exists and how it hasn't been hijacked yet right. to this point, and you're almost talking about this this chaotic war that's coming five to ten years where the very, the very thing that could hijack or um, take Bitcoin in another direction is the very thing that is possibly needed to take it to the next level. That's a very interesting absolutely. push and pull that's coming. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, and hopefully as institutional investors um, enter, I hope that um, the adoption rate rises so that it can't be hijacked. And that's in that whole bankless society ethos that comes online. Again, one of the things I, I, I talk about all the time is that look, cryptos at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what proof of uh, work style blockchain you're talking about. Lightning Network is a means by which to grow the network effect of Bitcoin. That was the that was the real takeaway. That was the real lightning bolt moment for Lynn Alden when she finally saw the pot, the potential for network the network effect for Metcalf's law to really even or some version you know some some variation on Metcalf's law, which is that you know the net the uh, the value of a of a network rises to the square of the number of people in it, right? Um, and I think I don't I think don't think Metcalf's law is particularly accurate. I think it's a sigmoid curve, which it's where it's exponential for a while and then it, and it tails off. But that's you know my own kind of personal interpretation of that because you eventually reach the limit of well you've you've reached everybody on the earth, Not this you know you've reached the upper limit, right? And Facebook is running into this right now. The Metcalf's laws Facebook has run out of of new people to bring on board. So now, you know, um, the network effect of Bitcoin, Lightning creates that by uh, creates that opportunity by dropping, you know, transaction fees to pennies. Well, that way it should be, you know, literal points, you know, a point, half a point, you know, on a transaction. Whereas, you know, the traditional banking system, like you know, Visa takes what, you know, the three percent, one point, you know, whatever Visa takes, you know, there's a three percent big on Visa. There's, you know. There's even Apple Pay is like one and a half percent or whatever. So the point being is that 
you know, we're going to commoditize that process. And by doing that, bring a saving style asset to a world, to a part of the world that has no ability to create savings and to create higher time preference behavior or lower time preference behavior. Sorry. Uh, to think longer into the future. Sapadina Moose made this point beautifully during his panel, which is that civilization comes from people uh, thinking in terms of a lower time preference. I want to think farther into the future because I have stability today. I have, I'm fed today. I'm clothed today. What can I do tomorrow? What, what can I build over the course of the next week to make my life even better? And that only comes from the ability to be able to save in an asset that isn't going to be destroyed. And whose value is being destroyed actively because, you know, yesterday I did all of this, uh, I did all of this work and I, I, I traded for these things and I, I accumulated these things. And then the Fed goes out and it prints $2 trillion tomorrow and literally destroys the value of the work that I did yesterday. And there's no way for me to catch up to that. That's what these people are doing to us. They're thieving from us at every level. And again, like I said, I was shocked to hear that level of discussion at this conference, at this stage in it. And that's and I and the fact that the um, that the uh, Winklevoss brothers set these panels up this way tells me a lot about where the ethos still is in this community. So I I, I I'm I don't want to say I'm more bullish than I was before, but I'm because that would be hard. But uh, I'm certainly not any more bearish. So there's not there's um, nothing wrong with being excited um, a week or so ago. And I mentioned this on my last podcast where I talked about Bitcoin in the beginning. Um, I, I saw a metric on how many uh, humans had uh, adopted and transacted with Bitcoin. And I ran the numbers and it was only like one point five percent. So only yes. at this point, one point five percent are yep. using hodling transacting you know even touching bitcoin with a transaction we are still at such an early phase um it's incredible to think about as excited as you are as excited as i am as much as we all think and we see it on twitter that it's that it's all over the place it's not it's it's still no. still in the it's very not. um early stages yep all right. I thank you so much. You 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 said a half hour. I'm pulling you just a little bit beyond. And again, Tom's just getting back from the Bitcoin conference. So lucky to have him uh, for for the Conservative Hippie podcast and the audience. I'm going to pull something out of you, something I've been thinking about. This is all me. I'm going to be very selfish at the end of the podcast. So sure. when I think about the Bitcoin theme and I look at what's going on, where we talk about the Great Awakening versus the Great Reset, and the Great right. Reset crowd clearly have digital currency that they're trying to bring out. They're trying to bring out UBI and be able to directly inject um, universal basic income right to the people through these digital currencies. So when I'm thinking about my money, I'm thinking about decisions, I'm thinking about investments, I, all the tools are available to me, including the current stock market. And I've wondered, I've been looking for and thinking about this trade where I could almost pair and leverage up my cryptocurrency investment with a short, and I'm thinking of a short in regional banks or banking institutions. And I've wondered, mm. how much have you thought about this? I've gone, I've taken the time, I've looked at a, a company uh, like U.S. Bank Corps and possibly shorting it. Um, have mm. you thought much about this trade, and do you have any names? And before I say that, of course, Tom's not an investment advisor. I'm not an investment advisor. We're just two guys shooting, shooting the shit, uh, blowing in the wind. 
That's right. We're just too out. Like I said, like I like to say all the time, I'm just an asshole on the internet with an opinion. Um, Now, I have not thought about something like this because I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge pair trade or or vol trade kind of guy, right? I'm a global macro guy. I like to, I like to keep my investment thesis uh, simple and uh, relatable to what effectively amounts to what I think is a retail audience. I'm not the information I, I, I tend to get out doesn't necessarily travel well with a retail level investor. But, you know, when you look at the, the newsletter is really designed around invest uh, retail level investor understanding of a stock or a, a coin or whatever I'm going to put in front of them for the portfolio. Um, shorting regional banks into this environment. I, I, there's two things. One, I never like levering up my, 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 uh, my crypto. I, I, that's not me. I would rather lever up my dollars um in some way i'm not a i'm not a big fan of that oh i might have used hang on, is, hang on I might, way too i might have used a technical term uh, i might have used a technical term incorrectly and i, and I apologize okay. about that when i say lever sure. up what i mean is a play that works in conjunction what, what okay. all, all i'm saying is yeah. with my macro theme don't borrow against your crypto to short to, no. to short you at bancor please no. don't that's that's not what i'm talking yeah. about yeah that's what I, that's what i heard jay okay but, okay so if you if you're thinking of, as a pair trade if you're long crypto, then you want to be short regional banks. It's not a bad idea. Uh, the the regional banks are going to be the ones that are the 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 ones that are not going to be protected. And when when there's going to be when there's a move made by Davos and 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 et al. Uh, and the central banks in order to uh, protect themselves from a, a collapsing market, uh, then. Even if you know, I wrote recently that, that uh, about the theory about them throwing the the, the, the commercial banks under the, the bus, right? Yeah. Now, the J.P. Morgans and the Goldman Sachs will be the last ones to be thrown under the bus if they're even ever thrown under the bus. With every major um, major financial panic of the last 150 years, it has always been, and certainly since the creation of the Federal Reserve, that the regional banks are the ones that are destroyed. Because they are the ones that can't get access to liquidity. Because they're the ones farthest away from the money center banks in the, the, in, in in New York. Um, they are the ones that are always destroyed. And the major banks are the ones that always come in and scoop up the remains. And they take they they buy up the good assets at five cents on the dollar, and the bad assets are thrown you know back into the marketplace. And you know eventually you know we eat those losses. And there's those that's what are, what are socialized. So if you want to play if you're expecting history to repeat itself well then certain certain regional banks with with bad texas ratios is not a bad bat but i would you know it's, it's, it's a good idea all right so when you write that article when you uh figure out the regional <laughs> banks to short i want you to shout out the conservative hippie all right fair enough I, I probably won't ever i probably won't ever write that article so i'll leave that to you and your audience there you go <laughs> All right, Tom. I thank you so much for joining us today. Sure. I'm sure you've got uh, I'm sure you've got guns to clean and goats to milk. <laughs> well, when I get back tomorrow, yeah, I'm still down in South Florida visiting, so I'm taking the rest of the afternoon off. So happy to do this, Jay. All right, thank you. Take care, man. Bye bye. That was the one and only Tom Luongo, self-described intellectual and also self-described Floridian hick. Uh, giving us some insights on his time at the Bitcoin conference. One of the things he brought up was a panel discussion at the Bitcoin conference with Jimmy Song and Robert Breedlove. And that particular panel was on the moral case for Bitcoin.
So after this break, we're going to grab and chop up and give you some highlights from this panel discussion, The Moral Case for Bitcoin. Hey, have you ever thought about a vaporizer to consume your dry herb? It's the least damaging way to enjoy your flower. A vaporizer takes 99% of the carcinogens out of the smoking process. And I know the perfect vaporizer just for you. Smoke and Jays developed the perfect vaporizer over years of trial and effort. Click on the link in the show notes. It will take you to the smokeandjays.com perfect vaporizer page. And a 15% discount will automatically be applied to your purchase. It's palm-sized for portability, and it has three different temperature settings to customize your vaporization experience. It truly is the perfect vaporizer. Not everyone is homo economicus, right? Like, you're not just hyper-rational beings that only care about profit and loss. Um, that's how Keynesian economists kind of think of people is just sort of people with specific incentives and they only do uh, you know, economically rational actions. Um, but that's not how people actually are. People have values. People have desires to make the world better, right? Like they think about legacies and about doing something that benefits the world instead of just them. So making a moral case uh, is much more about showing the product of the possibilities of what, what, what Bitcoin is, instead of saying, well, it's good for you because number go up. Number go up is great. I love number go up. But that's not enough for everybody, right? Uh, the, I, I know many of you in here are here for number go up, and that's great. But you, know, you take it to the next level and show how it is a moral imperative. Um, that, that's a much stronger argument. And a lot of that has to do with the current system. The current system is highly immoral. It is a cesspool of theft, corruption, and cronyism. That's what it is. That is Jimmy Song, and a link to this full panel discussion will be in the show notes for this podcast. Up next is the voice of Robert Breedlove. Yeah, so I think it's important to understand what morality is. It's it actually emerges in all animals. So if two wolves, Jordan Peterson talks about this a lot, if two wolves have a dominance dispute, they don't fight to the death. One of them gives up their neck to the winner so that they have the whole pack of wolves to take down the moose the next day. So morality actually emerges from play. And we as human beings play games with one another and our moralities emerge from the rules of the systems we're playing within. And today, the most important game in the world, which is money, it's corrupt. The rules of that game are twisted to favor a few and disfavor billions. So that actually corrupts our morality. Uh, the Austrian economists would say that the monetary standard and the moral standard are inexorably linked. So the fact that we have corrupt money in the world today is, I believe, the, con the result, I'm sorry, the cause of many of the results we're seeing, like all of this social unrest throughout the world, um, all of this, these attacks on freedom of speech, 
the social divisiveness. I think it's all rooted in the corruption of the money. I think it corrupts our characters and corrupts our morality. So Bitcoin is being the first man-made incorruptible money and social institution we've ever had. It's potentially the most important invention in human history. Well, property rights are, are essentially like the most basic human right, if you think about it. Uh, there is no other right without property rights. Uh, you, know, you think about something like freedom of speech. It doesn't make sense unless there's property that you're talking about. Uh, it's because we have public land that we have to even discuss things like freedom of speech. You do not have the right to come into my home and yell at me, right? Because it's my home. It, it, it's my property. Um, the thing about property rights is that uh, there, there are two sort of like legal ways in which you recognize property rights. There's, there's uh, positivism, which says that the government gives you the right to do X, Y, or Z, or have X, Y, or Z, or whatever. Um, and there's the natural law philosophy, which says that, you know, we, we have these rights already, and that the government can't take them away. That is indeed what this country was founded on. Right? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And, you know, we are endowed with the right to liberty, you know, uh, property, and, all, you know, all these other rights. But property rights are at the core of what it means to own something. And if you don't own something, then you get into positivism. And every evil authoritarian regime has, uh, that, that we think of as evil, has been positivist. You think about Nazi Germany or Soviet Union or any, any of these places where they, they commit these atrocities. You know, uh, the, the moral sort of case for positivism comes from the government decides what is moral. It is a might-makes-right philosophy. A natural law philosophy means that you actually have rights already and that the government is there to protect them and not take them away or give them or do whatever. Bitcoin is a natural law money. The dollar is a positivist money and that's the big difference. It's one is used to control, one is there to give you freedom, that's it. I think it's really important to clear up this common misconception of what property is. Like we always think it's the car or the stock certificate or whatever the item, but it's actually the relationship between the owner and that item. It's the exclusively acknowledged relationship that you have rights and responsibilities to that piece of property. Now traditionally we had to preserve this property with a monopoly on violence. We had to have guys with guns saying, hey, don't take his car, it belongs to him. But Bitcoin is the first property right that exists metaphysically, as Jimmy said, and it exists independently of this monopoly on violence. This is so important for civilization because if you can't invest your time and energy creating something, knowing that you can own it, that you have the rights and responsibilities to that asset, then we cannot trade favors with one another and we cannot create the wealth we see in the world. Everything you see around you is created through trade. Like, we create wealth by specializing and trading with one another. If that trust arrangement with property breaks down, civilization breaks down. And every time a dollar is printed, that is a violation of private property rights. Dollars are just a claim on all the stuff. So you print a dollar, 
You're taking stuff from the hands of one group and giving it to another. You're not creating any new wealth in the world whatsoever. So at the end of the day, property is about a relationship between yourself and your time, right? How can I invest my time knowing that I can own that? So the fact that there's a central bank, a centralized institution that can print money while the, for the rest of us are forced to use, it means they're stealing our property and stealing our time. This is the problem in the world. This is the core that Bitcoin fixes. That's, it can't be inflated, can't be confiscated, perfectly preserves property rights. It really is about property rights, but, and the thing that violates property rights is theft. And the thing about the current system is that it is, as I said before, a cesspool of theft. But not a lot of people understand how deep that theft goes. The U.S. dollar is the reserve currency for the world. So every time the, uh, the U.S. dollar expands, everybody that has the dollar is being stolen from, okay? Everybody that owns it. Now, that's not just other central governments, it's not just banks or whatever, it's people in other countries. In fact, some of the most vulnerable people in the world. These are people in Venezuela, North Korea, Zimbabwe, Nigeria, Turkey, wherever. These are the people that are being stolen from. And that is the moral case against the fiat money. Because every time the dollar expands, those are pe people that are being stolen from. And it's not just the Fed. It's the Fed, of course, you know, they, whenever they um, issue new treasuries or uh, they buy new treasuries, they're expanding the money supply. It's also corporate bonds. It's also mortgages. It's also your credit card. We are culpable. We are morally in, in a position of stealing from others when we expand the money supply ourselves. And we're not just stealing from other dollar holders. We're stealing from some of the most vulnerable people in the world. You described that guy as really good, that money is a social contract of the future, all right? So we're yeah. trading with everyone across time. So I've rendered a lot of services to the market. I need to claim something that I know I can go and get similar services back. Yeah. So you're trading with the future. And if that trust relationship breaks down, your relationship with the future contracts as well. So if money is this intertemporal agreement that we're making with ourselves and others across time, if money can be violated, all of a sudden our scope of concern shrinks. We become much more focused on just ourselves and our immediate circumstances. But when money holds value and can be uh, relied upon for its supply to maintain its integrity across time, we expand that sphere of concern to encompass more and more of ourselves across time and others. So this is what Austrians say about lowering your time preference. And this is the basis of civilization. The lower we can make our time preference, the more civilized we become by definition. And inflation is, is antithetical to this whole thing. You know, inflation is legalized counterfeiting. And counterfeiting is criminalized inflation. They are the same thing. Yet we tolerate it in the US dollar as if it's the norm. It's the greatest, it's the largest criminal enterprise in human history. That's why we're so passionate, uh, I think, as Bitcoiners against central banking.
Let's be friends. We're all on this cosmic spaceship together. Subscribe and share the Conservative Hippie Podcast. Visit our sponsors, SmokinJays.com. Everything for your smoking lifestyle. StonerHoroscopes.com. Adora Zen dishes cosmic vibes for the stoner at heart. KickFromTheSpot.com. Soccer is American.